You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good evening, everybody. Hi, my name's Abby. I'm one of the student team. I help out with various different things around the church. So I'm going to do the Bible reading tonight, which comes from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and the father has killed the fattened calf and he, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a fattened goat, yet I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate to be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Thank you, Abby. Well, good evening again, everyone. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the church. And um, the title of tonight's talk is Homecoming, Part Two. Um, John preached a brilliant message this morning um, called Homecoming, Part One. And uh, I'd really encourage you, if you've missed that um, head on to our website, you can catch up. And if you did miss it, don't worry, I'm going to be covering a whole load of stuff. But if you want a title for tonight's talk, it's, it's called The Older Brother, The Second Lost Son. The Older Brother, The Second Lost Son. Luke chapter 15 is one of the most powerful and profound passages in Scripture. If you're new to this faith church thing, um, it is 
an incredibly significant moment in the life of Jesus. Uh, it's incredibly significant for us as a church. For those of you that might be new here, um, our vision as a community is centered around the word home. We believe we exist to be a home. Well, firstly, we find our home in God. We exist to be a home for one another. And we exist to invite our city home. Home is what it's all about. And at the center of this story is home. In Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus tells three stories. How many of you know that Jesus was a master storyteller? He tells three stories. And these three stories are about three lost things. The first story is about a sheep, the second is about a coin, and the third is about a son. And these three stories come out of a scene that Luke sets in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is receiving and eating with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, he is befriending, he is inviting bad people into his life. He is spending a lot of time with people that society considers the worst of the worst or the lowest of the low. Jesus is spending his time eating, which is a sign of friendship, and loving bad people and broken people. Don't you love that about Jesus? That Jesus is consistently drawn to people who are cast away from people. He's con consistently and, and constantly drawn to the worst of the worst, those that are on the edge. And this is very offensive to religious people. It still is today, but it certainly was back then. And there was this group called the Pharisees. Pharisees were basically the religious elite. They were better than you and I. They, they ticked all the boxes. They fulfilled. They followed most of the rules. Their life from the outside was near perfect. But Jesus took issue with where their hearts were. And they saw the fact that Jesus was hanging out and spending time with bad people. And they thought it was completely scandalous. They thought it was outrageous. How could this man that claims to be God, how could this rabbi associate his life with these kind of people? How can this rabbi receive them and eat with them? This is outrageous. This is scandalous. This is culturally shocking. This is the world to which Luke is telling this story and Jesus is sharing it. And it says that they, they're grumbling about the fact that Jesus is hanging out with these bad people and Jesus hears them. And he tells three stories. He tells these stories because Jesus, among many other things, came to give us a greater revelation of what God was like. Jesus came to open up to humanity the full reality of what our Father in heaven is like, to give us a greater insight into the truth really that deep down every single human being longs for, that there is a God in heaven who loves passionately people. He's not a dictator, he's a father who is in love with his kids. He is not distant, he's not dormant, he's not dead, he's definitely not dull, but he's passionately pursuing every single person on earth and longs for them to come home. And in Luke chapter 15, we stumble upon one of those moments that completely turned people's worldview upside down. This completely rewrited people's idea or conception on what God was like. John put it so well this morning that people in our world are asking the question, what is God like? Do you want to know what God is like? Luke chapter 15. And this is where it starts. There is a man who had two sons. If this story is familiar to you and I ask you to tell it from memory, I wonder where you would start. Would you start, like I probably would, by saying there was this guy who made some really bad choices. And he went to his dad and he offended his dad and he asked for his share of his inheritance. And then he spent it. Would you start with the younger son? 
See, Jesus doesn't start with the younger son. This is not a story about the younger son. He starts here. Once there was a man who had two sons. This is the story of a man. This is the story of a father. This is the story not of a rebellious son. This doesn't begin with Jesus talking about the sins of the son. It starts with Jesus speaking about the father. He is the centerpiece of the story. He is the emphasis. He is the focus. This is the heart behind the story that there is a God who loves people. So there was a, a man who had two sons. And the younger son goes to his father and he says, Dad, I want right now, right here, my share of the inheritance. Now, that might seem a relatively straightforward request to some of you, but in Middle Eastern culture, this was outrageous. There would have been gasps in the crowd as Jesus tells the story. Because this was as if to say to his father, Dad, I, I wish you were dead. You usually get the inheritance when the father dies. And so the younger son is basically saying, I don't care about you. I don't want you at all. I only want what is coming to me. I want my inheritance now. I don't want anything to do with you. I wish you were dead. Just give me my share of the inheritance. The passage, passage says that the father divided his property between them. The word there is the word bios. It means life. It says he would have had to sell half of the family land just to provide the money to give his younger son. It would have torn the family in two. This kind of demand from a son to a father who was the, the patriarch, the, the height of honor in that culture was outrageous. It, it was the height of dishonor. There would be gasps. This is forgivable. But then it gets worse. The younger son goes and leaves and he wastes his inheritance on wild living, empty living, pursuing pleasure. And then as all these things do, the fun runs out, the money runs out, and he ultimately hits complete rock bottom. He ends up eating with pigs. So he ends up working with pigs and longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating. If you know anything about Jewish culture, they don't get on that well with pigs. So this is Jesus communicating to the, the cultural audience at the time. This guy is at the lowest possible ebb. He is at complete rock bottom. The youngest son hits that moment, and he says, I, I, I've got to go home. I have to go home. I've messed up. He is at the lowest he's ever been. I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you've ever found yourself at that moment when you have run away from God. You have constantly, consistently done your own thing, pursued your fleeting pleasures that the world has to offer and discovered that Actually, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill. Deep down, there is a longing that only God can fill. Maybe you're there right now. You stumbled into church tonight having run from God. There's good news. God is ready, waiting to invite you home. So the younger son, as he's thinking, he says, I need to go home. He comes up with this speech. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. He comes up with it in his head. Father, I'm not worthy to be considered your son. Just make me a servant. Make me a slave in your house. Just, I need to come home. And the younger son sets off on his way home. How do you think he was feeling in the long walk home? How do you think the son was feeling? How did he imagine that the father who he treated so recklessly would respond to him? Would the father say, no, 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 you're done. You're not coming home. You've made your choice. There's no way back. Would the father say, okay, you can be a servant. You can be a slave in my house. You're not my son. There's no way back. As he was walking that long walk home, I wonder if you can imagine how he felt. 
And yet what the younger son didn't realize was that the father was standing, waiting for him, watching, eyes on the horizon, willing his son to come home, praying, calling, beckoning. How long had the father been waiting for his son? Text doesn't say weeks, months, years. And the father every step of the way was waiting and watching and longing until one day the father sees a speck on the horizon and he recognizes it. He thinks, that's my boy. He's coming home and he does what is considered the height of, well, certainly incredibly um, not the done thing in Middle Eastern culture. He ran and in order for him to run, John said this morning, he would have had to pull his, his robe up, exposing his legs. It's like when I answer the door in my dressing gown and my wife is like, Josh, please stop. Apparently, I wear very revealing dressing gowns. <laughs> I thought my legs were my best feature, but um, I'm, I'm quite tall, so even the large doesn't fit. Anyway, not in the script. Um, so the father runs and he runs and he runs and he throws himself on his son. The son starts this pathetic speech and he gets interrupted and the father says, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not how we do things around here. The father interrupts. He clothes him in royal robes. He puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He basically says, you're not my slave, you're my son. And if you want a picture of what grace is, this is it. I wonder if you've considered what grace is, how that looks like. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is unmerited love. I love the song Reckless Love and the song Homecoming, which is a new song we introduced tonight, um, around the theme of coming home. We can't earn grace. We don't deserve it. It is a gift that you have to unwrap, but it is a gift nonetheless. When we are at our most broken, when we are at our most messed up, God is there waiting, watching. When we, run, when we have run as far as we possibly thought could, we could go, God is waiting. He's on the edge of his seat, just ready for us to turn around. And let me encourage you by saying the place you go when you are at rock bottom is not running away from God, but it's running into the arms of a father who loves you passionately, relentlessly. Turn to him. Wherever you find yourself tonight, turn to him and he will meet you there. He will forgive you. He will clean you up. He will give you a fresh start. He will wipe the slate clean. This is grace. Let me tell you, rules and regulations don't change your heart. They just show us that our heart needs changing. They show us that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. But grace changes up. When we come home to God and we expect a telling off. We expect punishment. We expect wrath. And instead of anger, we get compassion. Instead of a telling off, we get mercy. This changes things. My famous bands, Mumford and & Sons, and from their first album, love the quote about the prodigal son. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome you receive at the restart. It's the welcome of the Father that changes everything. And I just wonder if some of us need to encounter that tonight. He wipes the slate clean. Not only does the father wipe the slate clean for the son, but he restores his identity. He puts the, the robe, the royal robes on, the signet ring on his finger, a symbol of authority. 
And he says, you are now restored to your identity. When you are in Christ, you are in Christ. Your sin is hidden. Your sin, the Bible says, is cast as far as the east is from the west. And yet too much of the Christian life, I don't know if you think this or have experienced this, is lived as slaves when we're born to be sons, when we're born for royalty. Too much of the Christian life is sin management when it should be about rediscovering how we live as co-heirs in the kingdom of God. Verse 22 says this, but the father said to his servants, bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to eat. We're going to celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's arguably the greatest story ever told. In my view, joined with the Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> joke, just kidding. What an ending that is. From this, my son was dead and is alive again. What a finish. What a conclusion. And yet it's not, is it? It's not the end of the story. Anyone here like Marvel films? Wow, no one wants to admit that. Don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, okay, a few of you. All right, well done for being brave. Um, did anyone here stay to the end of the credits to watch a post credit scene? Okay, there we go, some of you, finally, some nodding, okay. It's funny, you stay through five minutes of running names to watch five seconds of something which could maybe give you a glimpse of the next thing. Jesus then gives us almost this post-credit scene. We think the story is finished. It's an incredible story, and that all of a sudden, Jesus goes on. He cuts to another man, the older son. Oh yeah, there's another son. We forget about this older son. Let me tell you about the older son. He's probably completely the opposite in many ways of the younger son. Where the younger son was reckless, the older son was consistent. Where the younger son was dishonoring, the older son was faithful. Where the younger son pursued pleasure and debauchery and sin, the older son lived in a righteous life, outwardly at least. Where the younger son abandoned the father, the older son stayed at home with his dad. Where the younger son made terrible choices, the older son made wise choices. When we meet the older brother, we meet him in the field, verse 25. He's working, he's doing what he always does. He's working hard, he's serving the father, he's doing his job, he's being faithful, he's being consistent. The older brother didn't run away. He stayed. He was obedient. He did as he was told. He was a good religious man. He ticked the boxes. He played by the rules. What happened? How did the older son feel the day the younger son left? I wonder if the father said to him, are you going to leave too? He said, no, I'm going to stay. Verse 25 says this, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and he said, hey, what's going on? Verse 27, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Picture the scene. How long did it take for the party to start after the younger son came back? Five minutes? Ten minutes? The older son is out working pouring out his life to serve his father, and he can hear the party, he can hear music, he can hear laughter, he can hear glee, he can hear the fun and the music. The text says he can hear dancing. How wild does the party have to be for you to hear the dancing? <laughs> dancing is usually silent. 
He can hear dancing. It's a rambunctious party. I know, I don't know why I put that word in there. <laughs> so, here's what's happened. The younger son comes home. He's wasted the hard-earned money of his father. He's committed the most outrageous, insulting behavior. How long had he been home before the party started? Five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, maybe an hour. An hour for him to go get a shower, have a shave, put some proper, put his new clothes on. And in one hour, this wayward, reckless, disobedient son is now on the dance floor, putting his hands up to put your hands up for Detroit. That was cool when I was 18, okay? So the older brother in verse 28 became angry and refused to go in. Can anyone else understand the anger? Can anyone else go, yeah, that makes sense. How can you treat my brother like this? He doesn't deserve it. What about me? So the father goes out and pleads with him, just as God, the father in the story, ran to pursue the younger son, he also pursues the older son. Just as he pursued the reckless, wayward one, he pursues the one that thinks they have it all together. He goes out and he pleads. And I've never seen that before. Wrecked me as I read this. He pleads with the older son. He pleads, he begs, he pursues. The father desires that none should perish, not just the people that are messing up in a huge way, but those that also hearts are far. You see, in this moment, the only person not in the father's house at the party is the older brother. He lived a righteous life, but he's outside. He distanced himself from God. This story is not about the prodigal son. It's about two lost sons. The older son is just as lost as the younger one. Physically, he's there. He's been there the whole time. But his heart has been far away. Verse 29, it says this. He answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. All of this time I've been slaving. I've been a slave. And yet you never gave me what I deserve. See, the older brother teaches us something about the human heart, about particularly those that know God, We've been in church all their life. Here's what he's saying. I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. I wonder if that's true. Yet you never gave me what I really wanted. He's saying over all these years, Father, I have done the right thing. I've obeyed you. I've been righteous. I've been to church. I've ticked all the right boxes. I've prayed. I've given my money and my time. I've been worked to the bone. I have earned the right to get what I want. Guys, you see, it's possible for you to be in church from the day you're born all your life, and still be outside the party. It's possible to say your prayers before bed, give 10% of your income, walk old ladies across the road every day, but your heart can still be far from the Lord. And if that's the case, when things don't work out, when you don't get what you want or what you expect, it's so easy to become angry at God as if he owes us something. Why has my life not worked out? I wonder if you've experienced this. I think we all have at some point over the last 18 months with the pandemic. Why has my life not worked out like I imagine? This is such an easy thing for Christians to experience, like we treat God like a slot machine. Like if only I put in 10 prayer coins a day, boom, 
I can get what I want. I can get that promotion or, or that raise. I'm not saying God doesn't answer prayer. Of course he does. He's passionate about that. That's not always how it works. Have you ever prayed something like this? God, why did you let this happen? I've been doing my best. Read the Bible in a year. Leave probably behind like everyone. <laughs> prayed at least 10 minutes a day. I've done my best. I've been okay. I'm not a bad person. Why has my life not worked out? If you really loved me, you wouldn't let that happen. We see in the older brother a picture of the Pharisee mentality. This is religion. This is entitlement. Because it reveals what we believe, which is this. We only really want God for what God can give us or for what God can do for us. The older son says, I have never disobeyed you. I am entitled to this. How can you spend more on the younger son? You never even gave me a, what was he say, a goat or something. You never even gave me that. The older brother says, I have earned the right to the favor of my father. I have earned it. Friends, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that earning God's love, earning God's favor is impossible. That might sound like bad news, but let me tell you, it is remarkable news. It is the best news you could ever hear. Because let me say, no one on earth could attain that. There was only one perfect person. He died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus on the cross exchanged his righteousness, his right standing with the Father for anyone that might believe in him and say, yes, I'm coming home. We get this exchange that, he who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God for those that trust in Jesus alone. He gives us his righteousness and he takes our mess and our sin on the cross because of the love of God. You don't need to earn the love of God. You need to receive it. The Father's love is extravagant. It is lavish. It is relentless and wild. His love pursues. His love pleads. God's love, God loves people so much, it's ridiculous. If God had a weakness, which he doesn't, it would be for people. God's heart is with people. He longs for relationship with people. He loves people so much that he lets them leave home. He loves people so much that the moment they turn around, he's sprinting to get them and kiss them. He loves them so much, he restores them back to sonship and royalty. The ring goes on the robe. He loves people so much that even when they don't realize that they need him, he's pursuing them and pleading with them to come home. This is how God feels about us. The older brother was outside the house. The only thing that keeps us outside of the house is our refusal to re-enter. In other words, no matter what your past is, your sin, your mistakes, no matter the choices you made before this moment right here, right now, if you come back to God, he won't let you finish a sentence before he makes things right. There'll be a party thrown within the hour. If you want Jesus, he's yours. But the elder brother refused to re-enter the house. Grace is a gift, you can't earn it, but you unwrap it. The elder brother didn't realize that he needed help. He thought he was good enough. He thought he'd earned it, lived right. His delight was not in the Father, but in what he had done for the Father. His argument for his anger was based not on the Father's love, but his own good works. If we try and buy our way into God's good books, we don't have a big enough checkbook. Completely impossible. 
What God looks for is emptiness, is brokenness, is humility, is an attitude which says, God, I've got nothing. There's nothing I've got on the table that is worthy of you. I have it all. We don't stand up with this list of boxes that we've ticked in our life and say, there, give me what I deserve. The younger son was broken. He came back offering nothing except his slavery. He said, let me be a slave, a servant, I'll do anything. Just being allowed back in is a gift. The father said, you're not my servant, you're my son. The older son said, I'm not your servant, I've been a slave. The younger son said, I stand here on nothing except your goodness and your grace. The older son said, I stand here on account of my goodness. I've never disobeyed you. We receive God's love, not on anything we've done, but on him. Let me tell you, this is, this is hard to hear, and I say it, being really, really honest, we don't bring that much to the table. <laughs> that sounds depressing. but We don't have much that's worthy of a king except our hearts and our worship and our lives that we lay before him and invite him into every single part of it. Verse 30 then, coming into land says this, when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My, father, the, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. He could have had the fattened calf anytime he wanted. It, it was his. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. I love that God has to celebrate. Like, he, he can't not. He's just, he's just so pumped when people come home. He's like, I can't, I can't do anything else but celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Great question to ask when reading these parables is who am I in the story? I think a lot of times I have been and am both of those sons. There were moments when I'm just doing my own thing, blinkers on, just walking away from God, running away from God, just, oh God, I just can't bear to surrender that thing. But there are moments when I come to God as if I'm here because I'm good. And I think both of those are, Jesus is speaking to that. You know, he's surrounded by broken people and sinners and the Pharisees. And he's opening the door to both of them to come home. For the sinners and broken people, they have to let go of their life of sin and compromise, come back to God's way. For the Pharisee, they have to let go of the right to be right, the entitlement, the, the pride makes them think they've earned it, come back to a place of humility and brokenness. And we find both of those things at the foot of the cross. In Jesus at the cross, he died for the sins of the world so that anyone and everyone can come and be made right. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.